This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Remember the Intel Inside campaign? Long gone are the days when Intel stood as a giant in the consumer electronics world. The company has a bold but risky plan to bring back chip manufacturing to the U.S. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Joining me to talk all things Intel is CNET's guru of cutting-edge technology, Stephen Shanklin. Welcome, Shank. Hi there. So first off, doesn't Intel already make chips? Intel makes a bajillion chips, but here's the deal. It doesn't make as many as it used to, and it doesn't make as... It doesn't make them uh, on cutting edge manufacturing technology like it used to. For years and years, for decades, Intel was the industry leader, but it has lost out over the last five or 10 years because of some engineering problems. So this is actually a pretty dire situation for a chip maker because you don't want to be on the wrong end of consolidation in the chip making business. There are countless companies that have fallen by the wayside. Intel has been a survivor but now it finds itself in that position at that juncture. Is it gonna be a survivor? Is it gonna be one of the also-rans? And what exactly is this bold plan that Intel's come up with? It's actually quite simple. So they brought their former chief technology officer back, Pat Gelsinger. He was a potential candidate for the CEO job a decade and more ago, but he didn't get the job and he quit. He came back uh, to pull the company back. He is an engineer. He has designed chips at Intel. And engineering is at the forefront of their recovery plan. So basically, it's, it's very simple. You invest a giant pile of money to try to accelerate manufacturing progress, to try to get them back on the leading edge. So they're going to spend a lot of money on research and development and a lot of money building new fabs. These are the chip factories uh, in the United States and in Europe. And they're going to try to catch up to their two big rivals, TSMC in Taiwan in Samsung in South Korea. And I'm curious because it's just, it's making chips or is it making them faster? Like what exactly does this plan enable? Like does this open up new markets for Intel or does it just get them on a more competitive standing with those two companies you just mentioned? It does. So one of the uh, profound changes here, Intel for all of its history has almost exclusively made chips for itself chips that run in PCs, chips that run in servers. Those are its two big businesses. But one part of this recovery plan is for Intel to make chips for other companies. So there are a lot of companies that don't make their own chips. NVIDIA, AMD, Qualcomm, for example, they rely on another company like TSMC mostly to manufacture their chips for them. So that is one of the big parts of Intel's plan. So it will make not just its own chips, but chips for other companies. This is called a foundry business. And there are a lot of fabless companies that design chips, but don't make them. So that's actually a pretty significant change. It'll be very difficult for them to make that change culturally and technologically. It'll take years for that to spin up. But if they succeed in that, that will mean Intel does a lot more than what it used to do in the past. And you talked to the CEO, Pat Gillinger, uh, in an interview. I'm curious what he said about the plan and why he's confident 
in a plan that really, like you said, will, will probably take a couple of years to come to fruition. Yeah, more than a couple of years. So yeah, Pat Gelsinger has been, uh, he's, he's trying to bring Intel back to the old uh, days earlier in its leadership where it had unsparing views of problems, very data-driven decisions, what is working, what is not working, what do we need to do to fix things? So no more sweeping things under the rug. Uh, no more sort of improv hour uh, decision-making by the seat of your pants. So this is the Andy Grove era where Intel famously switched from making memory chips to making processors, which was an enormously profitable but difficult decision. They took advantage of that opportunity. So Pat Gelsinger uh, wants to do a similar kind of pivot for Intel. So, you know, he's got a lot of challenges for sure. But, you know, honestly, one of the biggest ones is just setting a direction, making a lot of decisions, not dithering. And he's an engineer. The company's been led by more non-engineering people for a while. So this will be a pretty significant change in management style for the company. It's hard to do when you're, you know, it's the classic turning the battleship problem. But he has a, you know, pretty concrete, very specific plan. His confidence is based in a lot of discussions he has very frequently with a lot of engineering staff. He's increasing the amount of development work that they do. So if you're making chips, you're sending these wafers through fabs. He's going to be doubling the number of wafers that go through the fabs that are used for uh, development of the next generation technology. That's a cost because you can't sell those wafers, but it also means that they can find the problems in next gen manufacturing, debug them and get things working better. So it's, it's really an investment. And that's honestly one of the most important things they can do because their problems stem from problems modernizing their manufacturing over the last decade. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the problems you mentioned, investment or the lack of investment, and uh, Pat Gelsinger is really looking to pour a lot of money. Like, talk about specifically what, how much is this going to cost, and how much, and, and and what it actually takes to build back or rebuild a foundry business. Yeah, so it, there are a, a couple things going on. So first of all, in Pat Gelsinger's view, Intel underinvested in recent years, and I think that is a fair point. So they have catching up to do there, just to uh, keep up with the Joneses. But they also are facing uh, a huge chip shortage right now in the, in the, across the whole world. Uh, chips are in very high demand. You can't just snap your fingers and build a new chip factory. It literally takes a minimum of two years, three years, three and a half years for Intel's biggest, most advanced fabs. So you can't snap your fingers and, and bring these new uh, fabs online, but they are doing some immediate upgrade work. So th the amount of money we're talking about is just staggering. So here's the smallest investment they're making is $3.5 billion in a fab in New Mexico. Here's the next step up, $20 billion for two new fabs in Arizona. They just broke ground on that. They're starting to manufacture those. Those will go online in 2024. Here are the next two big dollar signs, $100 billion for a new mega fab site somewhere in the US, another $100 billion for another mega fab somewhere in, the, in Europe. So they are spending gargantuan quantities of money here. Yeah, that that that's staggering. Um, as you noted, these facilities are all going to be in the U.S. I imagine this is a popular move, at least in the D.C. circles. D.C. loves it. There's bipartisan support, actually, for a bill that would subsidize the microprocessor manufacturing industry to the tune of $52 billion over several years. And Intel stands to be probably the single biggest beneficiary of that. They won't get the entire uh, 
chunk, but they stand to get basically $3 billion knocked off the price tag of a $10 billion fab. So that is a huge, um, a huge tailwind. And uh, according to Intel, that is makes the U.S. more competitive with Taiwan and Korea, which already offer similar subsidies. So yeah, clearly the manufacturing uh, chip making business is, is popular in, uh, in Washington, D.C. with politicians. They like the idea of manufacturing things in the U.S. They do not like the idea of a huge number of critical industries being beholden to companies that are overseas, uh, especially defense, of course. But you know, making chips is, is, is much more important, not just for defense, but just because so much of the economy depends on electronics. It's not just that phone you buy, it's this huge constellation of everything else, all these online services, every call center you deal with, every car you buy, every toy you get for your kid at, at, uh, d- during the holidays, it's just electronics is in everything. So this is a huge amount of the economy and the US politicians do not want the country to be left behind. Yeah, and, and as you note, like the, more and more things have chips, but we are dealing with a chip supply crunch right now, where we just we're just they can't manufacture things fast enough. There was a bit of a miscalculation during the pandemic, uh, and then we're all kind of dealing with that. None of what Intel is doing right now is going to address those issues, correct? Yeah. So there are there is work uh, underway to deal with some of the near term problems. Uh, but you know, basically that amounts to really trying to squeeze the last amount of capacity out of existing fabs. Actually, a lot of the shortage is for chips that are made with older generation manufacturing technology. So some of these also RANs that couldn't keep up on the leading edge of chip manufacturing. So Intel, uh, TSMC and Samsung, the leading edge manufacturers, um, although they can supply a lot of capacity, they're not that they're not the real choke point right now for most of the chip shortage uh, situation. So, for example, the car industry, which is shutting down manufacturing lines because it can't get enough chips, that's mostly because they went with very low cost uh, processors made on trailing edge manufacturing nodes. So, uh, but that said. Uh, Intel and the others are certainly trying to capitalize on this problem because uh, there's an increase in chip demand and there is all of a sudden a whole lot of political support for make the problem go away. So they have an opportunity to uh, to cash in. Got it. Uh, and beyond sort of looking at Intel's plan to make fabs, I mean, your story today really kind of runs through what some of the, the, the chips are going to look like in the coming years. I'm just curious if you can give us a, a preview of like, how much faster, how much more powerful or power efficient are these processors going to be? Yeah, so we actually are looking at some pretty significant increases over the next few years. Intel has stalled because they had such a hard time moving from the 14 nanometer manufacturing node to the 10 nanometer manufacturing node. They've now mostly got past that problem, although the current 10 nanometer chips are more expensive to make than they'd like. But we're going to be seeing if Pat Gelsinger's plan comes true, we're going to be seeing a manufacturing process upgrade every year now through 2025. And each one of those is going to bring some pretty significant benefits in terms of performance, uh, you know, how fast the chip runs, how fast it can crunch numbers, how fast it, uh, you know, churns through calculations, and in its power efficiency, which is, you know, how much of your laptop battery or does it drain to get a certain amount of work done. That's obviously really critical for everybody who's working 
unplugged, but it turns out that even for, you know, giant data centers packed with servers, it's important because all these chips throw off wasty. You want everything to be as power efficient as possible. That's a critical dimension. So Intel is promising pretty significant, you know, double digit annual increases uh, in terms of percentage uh, boosts for those technologies over the next few years. Actually delivering those is going to be a challenge. They stumbled with their last big upgrade. They have a, uh, They have to deliver one a year now. Uh, Pat Gelsinger says, you know, he's talking to people weekly or more frequently, and he's very confident. He's obviously paying very close attention to the manufacturing, uh, the test, the test runs they're doing as they develop this new technology. But it's always difficult changing, you know, moving from a test run with just a few wafers to manufacturing millions, tens of millions of chips per year. Right, right. Well, lots to consider. Uh, we'll obviously be keeping tabs on this over the next several years as Intel rolls out its upgrade plan. Shank, thanks for your time. You can check out his story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or send correct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>